Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down. One more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We're covering 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. At this time, I'd like to introduce a special guest co-host. He is... The director of art and illustration for Gridiron Greats Magazine, illustrating in many different publications over the years. He's also a writer for Gridiron Greats Magazine, hailing from Colorado. I'd like to introduce my good friend, Jared Cross. Jared, welcome to the show this evening. Thanks for having me, Captain. It's good to be back. I'd like to tell our audience today that we're doing a, a somewhat different show. Our show today is only going to be for 30 minutes. And we're going to spend the entire show as a tribute to a gentleman who was a great supporter and friend of Gridiron Greats Magazine, an iconic player and coach in the NFL and the CFL, and also at his alma mater. I'd like to begin our discussion with the and about the life of Forrest Gregg. Gregg was unique. He was a team player. If there ever was a team player, he was a phenomenal coach, in my opinion, who really impacted many, many players' lives over the years. He was one of my childhood heroes. Many of my heroes are now long gone from the 60s, but I distinctly remember his phenomenal play with the glory years of the Green Bay Packers. I was kind of shocked when he went to play with the Dallas Cowboys for that one season, but then again, I wasn't, realizing the Green Bay dynasty was over and wasn't going to be back for a long time. And I was always fascinated when he went into coaching because I was very, very much following the Cincinnati Bengals of the early 1980s under this former Packer great Forrest Gregg. And I found great, great comfort knowing that Forrest Gregg was going to become the Green Bay Packers coach in 1984. Unfortunately, not 
doing what he needed to do with the Packers, but laying the foundation for the future of their reinvigoration of their glory years back in the 1990s. Forrest Gregg started out as an offensive tackle, well-known numbers, number 75 and number 79. He was huge, six feet, four inches, playing weight of roughly 250 pounds, not deviating from that much season to season. And again, as I say, he was very much a team player. He was very much an individual who played his heart out and coached his heart out for the Packers, for the Bengals, and the various positions he had in the CFL from the Argonauts to the Shreveport Pirates, the failed U.S. expansion of the CFL, and then ending up in a advisory role uh, as the seasons went on with, I believe it was um, the, um, it'll come, it'll come back to me with regards. <laughs> I'm, I'm checking my notes here right after um, Ottawa with that, with the Ottawa Renegades. And yeah, again, his, his uh, great try with SMU taking over a program that was, that was written off completely. What a great guy. What a great career. And I'm going to hand off to Jared. And I know you know the family. You've had many conversations with Mr. Greg. What do you think, and just to put you on the spot for a second, what do you think his greatest accomplishment might have been in his playing career than in his coaching career? Wow. Uh this didn't go with my notes, Bob. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the, the, I think the quote from from Coach Lombardi is going to pretty much sum up his uh, his playing career, and, and that, of course, was the finest player I ever coached was Forrest Gregg. And and when you consider just that, you know, who who's endorsing him at that point, and and whose name's on the trophy, by the way. Uh, and you consider all the players, whether it was with New York or whether it was, you know, the 11 Hall of Famers that you had with Green Bay or, or was uh, with Washington, you know, where, where Sam Huff was and, and Sonny Jurgensen. And, and you consider that all these guys that that Coach Lombardi had under his tutelage one time or another and, and to single out Force Gregg and say, this is the finest player I ever had. That, um, you know, and, before I, I uh, was introduced to Coach Greg and, and before I had the opportunity to interview him the first time, I had done a little bit of background information. I didn't want to go in blind and, and, you know, ask stupid questions or I figured, you know, it was going to only be a one-time shot, so I better make it good. And and I'd, and I'd read that quote. And, and you know, throughout our time together, and it's, it was over five years, and I was able to actually spend quite a considerable amount of time with him, um, it never left that, you know, it was Coach Lombardi who said, this is the finest player I ever coached. And and so, you know, I, I'd asked him in the first interview, you know, I was like, Coach, you know, that's that's an incredible endorsement. Is you, you, you know, he then, <clears throat> excuse me, he then went on to coach James Lofton and Ozzie Newsom and Brian Seip and Ken Anderson and Anthony Munoz and, you know, all these other guys that were very, very good Hall of Fame football or Hall of Fame type football players. And I asked him, you know, is there anybody that you would give that endorsement to? And and he said, and Ken Riley. And I had, 
never even heard of Ken Riley. <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, I wrote that down and, and then, then did some research. And he, he followed up. So, you know, all those guys were good too, but, I, you know, I want him included in uh, in that conversation. And and I happened to be down in Winter Haven, Florida at the time, and, and Ken Riley, Coach Riley, was in Bartow, which was about 15 miles away. And I uh, was able to track him down, you know, and we did an interview for him. And and uh, the the I guess it was an interesting dynamic, being that, that Coach Riley was a black man from South, and and you know Coach Greg was was a white man from from Texas, and how that they you know got together in Cincinnati, and and the, the tutelage and and the admiration that, that each shared for the other, and and you know Coach Riley went on to. Uh, have a great career at Florida A&M and, and, uh, you know, we, but the dynamic of their relationship I always thought was, was very, very interesting and and just the amount of respect. And as I got to know coach Greg and then, you know, had a a brief amount of time with coach Riley, um, men cut from the same cloth and, uh, you know, Christian men that, uh, that understood that, that football was a platform to do their life's work, and and it wasn't wasn't their work. And, and it, as you know, it was, it was a tough tough week last week. We you know I lost a friend, and and we laid him to rest. And and you know you had reached out in Spano, and and uh, a number of my friends and and these you know people called, hey I'm really sorry to hear. And and uh, you know I went went out and and read. Um, stuff online and, and watch ESPN and, and all these kinds of things. And they talked about, we'll talk about the rest of his career, you know, six championships and, and not too many guys can sport six championship rings. Uh, uh, Brady being one who just got his six and, and fuzzy Thurston had one with the Colts before the five with the Packers. And, and I believe it was coach Greg and I think her batterly wound up with Dallas that same year and, and won. And those, that's it. Right. And the history of the, history of the league, we've got four guys that have won six championships. And to accomplish that as a player, obviously 55,000 men have played football in the 100 years that uh, that it's existed. And we've got six guys, or four guys that have won six championships. And, and that, uh, you talk about his playing career, and that's pretty special. And uh, Exactly, exactly. It's, it's an incredible accomplishment, which I think, today of instant information and instant gratification it's kind of lost in the game itself the, what those guys did it, it was just, I, don't, I don't think it ever could be duplicated you know in all seriousness uh, you know again we, we have Brady Tom Brady as an example today but in no way shape or form it follows what those guys did in such a short period of time uh right. given the get the game the, the given the game the way it was at that time so well, and something that I, I want to bring up is uh, I was listening to um, Tom Jackson on ESPN, and, and he was describing careers. And I, I think this may, may put it into to a little bit of perspective. That He said, you know, if you make it to the NFL, you're a good player. You're good. Mm-hmm. You make it to the NFL. And he goes, a small percentage of those guys will be like Pro Bowl players. And he says, and then a small percentage of those guys will be all pros. And a smaller percentage of those all pros will make it to the Hall of Fame. And he said, then when you get in the Hall of Fame, when you get in the Hall of Fame, there's a very small percentage of guys who had legendary careers. 
And that never left me when I was, you know, considering being in his presence and and being around Coach Greg and and that he had a legendary career. And and I'll explain what I mean by that. When you look at that Packer team, and I I think they're either nine or ten Hall of Famers from from it. Kramer just just made it in and and, uh, Willie Davis and, you know, Hornigan, Taylor, and and Starr, and the the list goes on and on and on. And, And when you look at individually, Nobody says Bart Starr's, and I know this is going to pull at your heartstrings, but nobody says that Bart Starr's the greatest quarterback of all time anymore. Nobody says right. Horning or Taylor right. are, are even in the discussion of the greatest running backs of all time. But when you talk about offensive tackle and you look at all time, and, yeah, you got Anthony Munoz out there and, and Larry Allen and the Force Greg is still in that discussion. I think he always will be. And, and then on the defensive side, it's Ray Nitschke. So of those nine guys that are in the Hall of Fame, you've got two guys that will always be in the discussion of the greatest players ever at their position. And those guys are legendary. And something that um, w- was really cool as I got to know Coach Greg, I had um, spent several hours with them at their home over various uh, various days and and I had called them when Super Bowl 50 was getting ready to happen and I was that was when Denver played Carolina and I just asked mm-hmm. them would it be possible for me I was living in Florida at the time would it be possible for me to come out and watch the game with you and they're like yeah we'd love to have you and so it's coach Greg and his wife Barbara who's who's amazing and me and it's not a party. My sister was having a party, and there's a chili cook-off in the games and the <laughs> all this other stuff. Oh, and there happened to be a football game. Going. It was the three of us sitting there eating sandwich, watching football. And oh, wow. leading up to that week, they named the, the 50th anniversary all-time Super Bowl team. You know, this is the team's got mm-hmm. Joe Montana and Brady and Emmett Smith and, and you know, Jerry Rice and these, these guys. And the only player that represented any of the players from the 60s was at right tackle, <laughs> was number 75, played for the Packers. He was the only one. And those guys, and they're, they're still competitive. They kept in touch. And, and the, the, the other guys that they knew that Coach Greg made that team, you know. And, and, um, and when they introduced the players, or, or prior part of the game, they, they – showed the 50 living MVPs, former MVPs. And, and coach had just turned it on. He was kind of standing there was Bart starting. Oh, there's Bart, you know, and it, it were those kind of surreal moments when they're, Oh yeah, we just talked to Bart and Sherry the other day. And, and you realize they're talking about Bart star or, Oh, Jim, you know, his wife, and they're talking about Jim Taylor. And it's, it's just kind of surreal because, they're almost like superheroes, or or you know uh, that you're talking. They're talking about. You know, they're just friends, and and they're guys. And you know, I <laughs> I know that you and I have a have a history that goes back a long, long ways. And I knew the Packers were your team. My buddy Leland, the Packers were his team, and and you know I understood Force Greg's place in in the history of the organization, and that organization's history and, and the you know what it means that Packer team is meant to the development of the league and it, it never left me that you're so fortunate to be here in the presence of this legendary player 
And people that, that didn't understand football, I, I would try and explain it. I said, you know, it's like an artist being able to hang out with Rembrandt or, or a musician getting getting to be around Beethoven. I said, you know, I have this limited opportunity to be around greatness at a discipline that I that I really enjoy and admire. And I said, I I will soak up every you know any time I can can be in his presence. I I relish the opportunity to do so. So yep. yeah, yep. Leg, legendary legendary career and and uh, you know I tried to uh, I tried to ask intelligent questions when I was around. And once I kind of was accepted that you know Jared's not here asking for us to sign stuff or and and right, th- that right. was one of the, one of the cool things was that I met him the first time I took my son and um, you know he was 12 and didn't want to be <laughs> anywhere near what his dad was doing but. <laughs> It was, you know, just one of these. I'm thinking, man, we've got this opportunity, and I want you to be a part. There's nobody that I want to share this with more than my son. And you know, yeah. that was the the first time I met him, and they included him in the conversation. And and oh, he, <laughs> we're sitting in their living room, and he put his feet up on their coffee table, and I about died. I'm like, oh, <laughs> get your feet down, you know. And they didn't bat an eyelash, and, and Coach was like, yeah, no, I think yeah. we can make an end out of him. And, and um, yeah. we a beautiful home they have, and, and kind of as we were leaving, I was, they had a, a staircase that goes up and then turned back on itself, kind of made a, a switch back, and then up into the, the upstairs yeah. level. And in that staircase, there was a niche cut out of the wall, and that's where his Hall of Fame bus was. And so mm-hmm. we were leaving, I was like, can I – can I look at that? And oh yeah, please. And so Adam, my son, and I went over and I was trying to explain to him. I was like, okay, well, you know who Tony Hawk is, the skateboarder. And of course he knows Tony Hawk. And I was like, yeah, okay, so yeah. coach, coach Greg is the equivalent of Tony Hawk in football. And then he starts <laughs> in, oh, so he was like really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. He was, he was like pretty good. So, but you know, uh, just, a, a legend, a legendary football player, and such an even better man. That was kind of the the thing that I I wanted to, to say to people. And, and as the, the week passed, you know, after he passed, I'm getting texts and from you and my, my you know all my other friends. And that 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 was my answer. It was like, yeah, he was a legendary football player, but he was an even better man. And yeah, yeah. Just uh, ask him tons of questions about guys, you know, and and the worst thing, the worst thing he ever said about anybody was, he's a good player. (laughs) And so, you know, he's just just that kind of high, high quality man. And and, uh, I was very, very fortunate to to be able to spend the the amount of time around him that I did. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, I want to just make uh, a couple of comments regarding his coaching career. Um, mm-hmm. He was a very good coach also, even though his record may have not shown in several places. But the one thing that I think a lot of people don't remember, he took the Bengals to the Super Bowl and literally almost turned over that game and won that game. And it was a, a very, very strong accomplishment, in my opinion, with what they did, what he did with that team. And even more importantly, what he did when he when he took over a program at SMU, Southern Methodist University, that no other coach basically in the country would touch. And when he got in there realizing that he had basically had all freshmen and he was bigger than most of the people, most, most of his players, 
he knew he had his work cut out for him. And uh, I give him all the credit in the world for what he did in those two years at, at SMU. I was I was always fascinated with him taking it over. And at that time, believe it or not, I was um, filling in on a um, – there was a college uh, football show podcast, and uh, I would be talking about – I would always bring up SMU and what Forrest Gregg did that did that year. And then his two victories the first season was just, was just incredible. You know, um, the, the friend of mine who was the PA that was the original link between Coach Greg and me, and I had this conversation, exact conversation, you know, the day that, that we laid him to rest. And, and uh, yes, he had, had, had taken over six and ten Bengals team and two years later has got him in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, when you have a, a team that's that quality, now, first of all, they were in the ASC Central, so you've got a good, you know, Houston team, you've got a, a pretty solid just just out of their championship years Pittsburgh team and and you you've got to compete and and not only did you compete but you go to the Super Bowl now remember that was the the freezer bowl was that AFC championship where it was like negative 46 degrees or something so he comes out comes out of the ice bowl which was the coldest game on record the coach and the coldest game on record in in the freezer bowl and 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 uh, take that team to the Super Bowl and then you know, the Packers call after, uh, you know, Bart Starr hadn't been as successful as they wanted him to be as a head coach. And, and so they, they call him and coach Greg leaves the Bengals for the Packers and, and, uh, you know, it has several years there. And then yes, SMU calls. And like he said, when you consider that he is one of 28 guys in the world that have a head coaching job in the NFL probably your dream job you're back with the Packers you're following in Lombardi's shoes and you leave that for for like you said a team that lost all its scholarships doesn't have any five-star athletes doesn't have any four-star athletes and is expected to compete in a tough conference yep, that in yep, itself yep. I, I think is is the mark of, of the man's passion and and you know I'll, I'll be honest with you I think that he was more proud of those guys at SMU at, for those two years, I think he's more proud of the three wins that those guys had than all the Super Bowls and all the All-Pro and all the all the things that he did in his playing career. I truly believe he's more proud of the, the yeah. accomplishment he had at SMU than he is of all that other stuff. So it's, uh, he was just a special guy. And here will be a kind of a, a telling mark was that at his, at his funeral, James Lofton spoke, David Baker from the Hall of Fame spoke, and then one of his players mm-hmm. from SMU spoke. Now, the team, those guys were all pallbearers, um, along with uh, Ken Riley and Ken Bowman. And there were about 25 guys that had played at SMU that, were, that attended the service. And, you know, the, the one gentleman got up and spoke, and he, he just talked about his intensity. James Lofton said, you knew when he walked in the room that that was somebody. said his mm-hmm. intensity was in, in infectious, and we all knew who that was. And it was the same. No matter who was speaking, they talked about how, how intense he was. And, and – but beyond that, talked about how compassionate he was and how much he loved 
his job, how much he loved the players around him. And, and so um, this, this particular player shared a story. He said, you know, we were getting ready for Arkansas, and it's a cold, miserable day in Dallas. It's 30 degrees, and we're outside. We're not hitting. We're just doing walkthroughs. It's cold, and he's got us out there. And he's like, man, we're freezing and we're hating it. And he said, he said, he said I'm like 5'8", and so we have our second water break. And the rest of the guys said, hey, you need to go ask him if we can go in. And he, he looked around. And he said, you know, we're going through goal line situations. And I'm the smallest guy on the team. And I know that if I'm in the game on a goal line situation, things have really gone wrong for us. And so he says, I get nominated to go talk to, to, to Coach Greg and say, hey, can we get in practice? And he said, so I start, he's out at the 50-yard line, won't get in our water break, and he says, I start running out there. And he said, I get partway, and I hear the the voice of John Fakinda saying, from from the frozen tundra of that Lambeau field. And he said, as I'm approaching <laughs> Coach Greg, I'm thinking about this guy is, you know, he played in the coldest game of record. And so he got out there and he said, yes, someone what can I do for you? And he said, Coach, I just wanted to know if I could bring you some Gatorade. And he said, no, no, son, I'm good. And he said, I turned around and I ran so fast back to the bench, I couldn't believe that I'd actually gone up there and done this. And he said, the thing that he was doing, do we need to do that? Do we need to be out there? No. He said, but he was preparing us for life after football, that some right. days are not right. going to be easy. Some days you're going to want to quit. Some days things aren't going to go the way that you think they're going to go. And he's preparing us for those instances that we can't quit he won't let us quit and if you start quitting today the next time you're gonna it's gonna be a little easier to quit and he said he right. wouldn't let that fight get out of us and and uh, but you know like everybody else he talked not about football but just what a, a truly incredible man that, that coach greg was right right well we're down to about four minutes here and a, a couple of wrap-ups one way or the other uh, I mean, we could talk a couple of days about Forrest Gregg, to say the least. Uh, again, looking back at the man, I think you summarized it very, very eloquently with regards to what he actually did with his players, what he did as a player, what he did as a family man. Um, there's just I just wish another Forrest Gregg could come out of the blue and come out of college and go into the NFL and do the same thing. But I know each player is individual to a time frame. Today's society is dramatically different than it was 50 years ago, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, some of my final thoughts of Forrest Gregg, uh, I, I just, I, I could never believe what he was able to do over the years. And as much as, as much as the press criticized him over the years, especially when he took over for Bart Starr uh, at the Packers and how there was supposed animosity between the two, which are, to me there never was. I, I think he did what he wanted. I think he did what he felt he needed to do to take over that franchise and try to make it a winner again. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there, and again, he did what he could. But to me, he laid the foundation for the future for the Packers to become a good team. Uh, Lindy and, and the Fanati, who basically took over after Forrest, laid a lot of foundations for for trying to get the team turned around, so on and so forth. So his his legend is in so many different places, with the Packers, with the Bengals, with SMU, with the Canadian Football League, with what he did with Shreveport, trying to get the CFL going in the United States, even though that was that didn't work. He was in so many different aspects in football, 
It's just truly, truly an incredible career for an incredible man. And I'm just, I'm just so, I'm sad in a way that he's gone. But again, I, I take, take pride in, in knowing about the man's career, learning more about him, learning more about him through you when you're writing on him. It's just, it, it makes it really worthwhile. And, and I think that's what's the, one of the more important things about preserving the history of football is so that people like Forrest Gregg are never forgotten, done, you know, the, the, all the different things that the man did in his career, from being a Super Bowl championship winner to coaching in the Super Bowl to coaching or, and taking over a college program, so on and so forth. It's, it's truly amazing. All right, with the last two minutes, Jared, I'm going to hand, off, hand back off to you. Final thoughts about Forrest Gregg. Okay, well, because of my association with him, I, I paid a little more attention to the things that Coach Lombardi said because there was a reason for me to. And so I'm going to, going to leave with this one, and, and it's a quote from Coach Lombardi that says, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all he holds dear is that moment when he's worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. I was with Coach Greg just hours before he passed. He was resting, and I'm talking to Barbara, and she's telling me about all the players that have called, all the players that have texted her, all the people whose lives he touched. And I thought about that quote. Here's Coach. He's resting. He's laying on the field of battle exhausted. And based on the quotes, the texts, the messages that people were sending. It was not about rings. It was not about all pro performances. It was not about championships. It wasn't about football. It was, he made me a better man. He made me a better father. He made me the person that I needed to become. I knew that I was seeing a man at his greatest hour laying on the field of battle, victorious. That's a great quote. That's a wrap. Forrest Greg, you'll be missed. We'll miss you. May you rest in peace. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.